following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Hey, I want to I want to put an image up here before we introduce our speaker and Steve's going to introduce him. I wanted to share with y'all a barrier in my life and in my heart, and, and I'm going to tell a story to get there. Who knows what that is? Wrist rocket, hunting slingshot, a sportsman flip. It's been called a lot of things over time. For me, I had an older brother that was physically a whole lot bigger than me. We did not get along. Uh, and, and I just remember we were at a friend's house who happened to have one of these, and my brother and I got in a fight. And it didn't go well for me. He outweighed me 50, 60 pounds. It did not go well for me. But then my eye caught a glimpse of that. And there was a pile of sort of like double-ot buck in a pile next to it. Now, they used it around their house to keep squirrels out of the garden. This is Tennessee, by the way. Squirrels out of their garden and all of that. For me, it made complete sense to to go as quick as any elf could, get my hands on that thing, load it up, and unleash fury. And so I beeline for that. My brother had no idea. I wasn't running toward the house. You know, it's like I beeline it, I grab it, and he sees me grab it, and he starts hauling. Their front yard is like about 100 yards of grass. Well, it's a side yard. There's a culvert, and then up on the street is where our Pontiac Le Mans station wagon had been parked where my mom had parked it. And he is hauling, and I rear back, and I pull back, and I let go. And, I mean, you hear it sizzle as it goes out, and you can watch it because it's big enough. I mean, it's a big metal ball. Barely missed my brother. Enter, enter the back window of that station wagon goes right through that, hits the second one, and does the spider crack routine on that one. Well, as fast as my brother was running that direction, I was running the other direction. My mom is coming out of the house, the neighbor's house, mind you, and I am just hauling as fast as I can. I knew I had done wrong, and I knew this was not going to end well for me. I felt justified at the beginning of this experience. I felt condemned at the end of it. And to be honest, that's how my life had felt for years. Except it wasn't my mom, it was God. Because I knew what I had done. I knew the messes I had made. And it wasn't a sense of, oh, I'm so happy that there is a God. I want there to be a God. I want God to be with me. I want to be with him. And so, in a sense, this idea of walking with God would not have appealed to me at all. I'm not assuming you felt the way I felt, but there are some verses that I would like us at the table to look at, and they're on the top part of your sheet, it says introduction. There are five verses. I'd like around the table, y'all read those quickly. If you're a silent guy like, you know, like some of you, read them on your own. Think about what is really being said. They all are saying similar things and share with each other a couple of things. One is what stands out to you. Number two is what does it tell you about God? And number three, what does it tell you about yourself? And it's not all explicitly stated. So if you're alone at a table, it may be good just to join up or if there's maybe one or two at the table, 
partner up with another group. What did each of those verses have to say? There's a stepping out, we step out, and what, what does God say he'll do for us? We sort of uh, clued in on uh, the second one. I will give them a heart to know me and that I am the Lord. I will, what? I will give them a heart to know me. So God is wanting to know us? That's a pretty amazing thought, isn't it? The God of the universe who created all heaven and earth, each of us wants to know us. Hey, guys, we have a real privilege today. Uh, let me introduce Jacob Johnson today. Jacob and I met uh, about seven years ago in a, in a Bible study in downtown Houston. He's an a energy trader and trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, and derivatives and things like that. Anyway, he's uh, been with various uh, large uh, worldwide uh, energy banks. So Jacob's going to speak to us today. And the main thing is, over the last seven years, Jacob and I have spent time uh, getting to know each other as brothers in Christ. But over the last six months, we've had our own walking with God road trip, among other things. But Jacob Johnson, come share with us today. Hey, guys. Uh, great to be with you. Um, Eric's story really spoke to me. I've got a nine-year-old son and an 11-year-old son, and man, they're always getting into it. Um, I can totally see the slingshot thing happening with them. And uh, anyway, uh, Steve asked me, uh, I guess Saturday, if I'd come up and share um, a few, I guess, stories, a little testimony about uh, what we've been doing over the last six months. And so I'm, uh, you know, I don't speak a lot, so I um, appreciate this opportunity and uh, kind of looking forward to it. Uh, when Steve, uh, when I was talking to Steve about the topic, he mentioned that uh, kind of the whole Walking with God series, they want to, it's basically a series to show that we need a guide through our life. We have the Bible, and then Jesus offered the Holy Spirit also to, to guide us. And when he said that, it kind of reminded me of a story of a uh, when I was in my 20s, uh, before I got married, I got married when I was 23 to my high school sweetheart. Uh, she was a really good athlete. And when I was about 21, she decided to get into uh, some sprint triathlons. And I don't know if any of you guys have ever done that. But a sprint triathlon, it's not like an Ironman. You uh, swim 500 meters, uh, bike 20 miles, and then you run uh, three miles. And so I went and watched her when I was 21. I went and watched her actually win her division of the Cinco Ranch Sprint Triathlon. And uh, you know, I was sitting on the sidelines cheering for her. And I was excited for her, but at the same time, I was a little like ashamed and embarrassed because I'm on the sidelines and I see all these 900 people you know, finish this triathlon. And I was a prideful young man. And so I thought to myself, you know, I, I could do that. I, I think I could finish that. And so the next year, I signed up to, uh, to do it with her. Um, and we got into the training, the training part, and I figured I could handle the bike. There's no way I could run three miles. That would probably take me like at least a day um, at that point <laughs> in my life. Um, but for some reason, just again, like the overconfidence and the shame of having a, a fiance at that point who is more athletic than me um, got me. And so I signed up, and uh, she said, everyone, everyone, I asked people who had done it, everyone said the swim part's the fastest. It only takes a couple minutes. It's the easiest. And, you know, I'd, you know, I'd been swimming my whole life. My brothers and I would ride up to the neighborhood pool, and we'd do cannonballs off the high dive to try to get the lifeguard wet and um, underwater handstands. And, 
eat French fries and uh, snow cones from the from the stand. And I, but I didn't fully appreciate that that wasn't the the proper training regimen for a 500 meter op open water swim. <laughs> and so, <laughs> my fiance or my wife at the time, Lynette, she understood my situation and would gently, you know, suggest we go to the pool to try to uh, give me some pointers. So we went to the pool, and I was excited because I was thinking French fries and snow cones again. But uh, I swam about, she said, why don't you, you know, swim 25 meters, and I'll watch your stroke, and I'll give you some pointers. So I swam 25 meters as fast as I could, and loose what you'd loosely call maybe a freestyle stroke. It was freestyle and then kind of doggy paddle whenever I needed some air. I got to the end of 25 meters, and I was just gasping for breath. <gasps> And so she swam over in a leisurely, at a leisurely pace and, uh, you know, gave me some pointers, cup your hands, don't like pull up and dog paddle when you need to breathe. Here's how you just turn your head and breathe. And so I was like, okay, yeah. And so I did one more, did the swim back, one more 25 meters, and I couldn't make it the whole way. I made it maybe 15. And at that point, I just had to flip on my back and just backstroke the rest, the rest of the way. So that was the, um, that was the, training for the 500 meter swim. I did a little biking, I did a little running. The key thing I was worried about was uh, there was a weight limit. They had a, uh, the race was divided by age, so you, like 10 year increments. But they also had a age for like the uh, healthier, like heavier people. So um, I was worried, I was right on the edge of the weight limit. So I wanted to kind of bulk up, and make sure, I was like, I don't want to go with like the guys my age. I want to go with kind of the fat people. And um, so I uh, luckily, you know, didn't train very hard. Uh, I made the weight, and so I got into the Desperados category. And so the day of the race, I, I didn't know what to expect. It's still dark out. Um, it was at Cinco Ranch. Um, I'd fished there, you know. I'd walked around the, uh, the lake. It's a beautiful place, but I never stepped into the water. But I was, so I stepped into the water and there's like this green like goo oozing between my toes. The water was disgustingly warm. And I was in the last group because I was with the, they lumped the desperados with like the extremely uh, elderly and disabled people. <laughs> and so I was happy. I felt like I was in the right, in the right group. But <laughs> I was a little nervous because I didn't think I could swim very far. So I, uh, um, and I was really disturbed by the water. So the pre-race pre jitters, you know, 900 people, 850 people had gone before me. The pre-race jitters started to get me. I started to have to use the restroom. And I was like, man, if just a thought occurred, if 900 or 850 people had the same thing before I went, like, is that why the water's so warm? And I thought, it's like, that is gross. And so I, like, I didn't care if I finished, but my, my deal was I'm not going to let any of that water get into my mouth because it looks like just nasty stagnant bacteria-laden water. So anyway, the gun went off. I, was, I positioned myself um, next to some 70-year-old class ladies that I thought maybe I could try to keep up with. We got going, and um, I got kicked in the face immediately by one of them. She turned around and gave me this dirty look, like, what are you doing? You're crowding me. So I backed off, which was fine, because I wanted to rest anyway after a couple strokes. And then uh, I uh, noticed, like, I had some cheap goggles that I had borrowed from my wife, and they were fogging up. I couldn't really see anything because it was real steamy, and the sun was just coming up, so it was, the, it, was, it was hard to see. But I figured I could listen to the splashing sounds and just follow those, so I did that. So, I, you, know, you know, backed off a little bit, and then 
rattled off like three or four strokes, and then looked up. I could still see kind of the, the group. They're all in one big group um, moving toward the finish line, 500 meters. They had, um, for the race, it was really well, well set up. They had these two, you know, probably, it was probably a 50-yard or 50-meter wide lane that we, we, were, we were supposed to swim in. So you had plenty of room. And um, along the lane, they had kayakers. They looked kind of bored because no one was having any trouble, but lifeguard kayakers. And so, you know, they had just been sitting there twiddling their thumbs the whole time. Um, anyway, so I start going. Um, glasses are foggy. I don't really know where I'm going. About probably 30 meters into it, I'm totally out of breath. I can't, you know, I can't go much further. So I decide I'm going to flip up, flip over on my back. I'll just backstroke my way all the way through. So I start backstroking. I figure, you know, maybe I'm about halfway there. And all of a sudden, like, my arm hits uh, concrete. I was like, awesome. I'm, I was going faster than I thought. I'm already at the finish line. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, like, rolled over, and I was in water about this deep. And I looked up, and I'd, like, gone, like, whoosh, like way outside the lane into the side of the, uh, into the, side of the, um, the lake. Like, great, you know. I guess I'll have to... Um, you know, get back in the middle. I don't have a like real good sense of direction. I was self-aware enough to know that. But anyway, I decided to try so backstroke again because it's the only way I could breathe. I probably took in about a gallon of that water just in the first 30 minutes, um, trying to breathe, just sucking in that disgusting water. So I started backstroking, and uh, you know, I felt like I was maybe about halfway there. And uh, I looked up, and I'd gone like completely, kind of perpendicular. I was outside in the middle of the lake now, outside the lines. It's like, great, you know, I might drown. This is, this is it's a little deeper here. Um, so, you know, I didn't know what to do. I decided to continue my backstroking because I couldn't do any other stroke. Um, so I started backstroking again, and my glasses were totally fogged up now. The sun was up a lot higher. Everyone had finished at this point. And um, backstroking along, and all of a sudden, like, I hear this voice. Your ears are kind of muffled because they're underwater. It's like, go loud. Oh, is that I just hear that, and so I, you know, went to the left a little bit. Like, go right, go right. Like, hmm, what is this? And so a couple thoughts occurred to me. I was thought maybe you know I drank so much of that water I was hallucinating was one thing. Um, the next thought occurred to me was you know maybe it's like angels guiding me along the along the path. And about that point, I looked up and I saw this like glowing figure. You know, it's all foggy in my glasses. This just glowing figure saying, go left, go left. I was like, wow, it is angels. And then I popped my goggles off, and it turned out to be the lifeguards and the kayaks. <laughs> and there was like one on one side of me, one right on the other. But they had this angelic glow when I had the foggy goggles on. And so they, uh, you know, they kind of herded me all the way to the finish line. I finished probably 10 minutes behind everybody else at least. Um, when I got within, say, 40 meters, I could stand up, and so I, instead of swimming, I just kind of like lunged and tried to walk in, and they were telling me, you're not allowed to do that, sir, and you know, they were just like, there was this kind of disgust and pity on their face, but <laughs> I uh, finally like staggered up the, uh, staggered up the ramp, and my mother-in-law, she still denies it to the day, this day, she was sitting in a lawn chair right on the ramp, and I was giving her the two thumbs up, and she just looked down like, <laughs> I don't know that guy. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I was just so thrilled to 
thrilled to be done. And, uh, you know, the rest of the race went better than that. It was a little embarrassing. I had, like, this helmet my wife gave me. I didn't have a helmet. It was a, like, small black helmet that she had when she was a kid that had two big rainbow stickers on it. <laughs> it sat, like, on top of my head. And so it was easy to find my bike. Yeah, I was able to, uh, you know, there's only one there. So <laughs> I paddled off with my helmet. And uh, anyway, I ended up passing several people in the bike, amazingly. And what I found out during the bike was I'd been beaten by a nine-year-old boy and a man with no legs. <laughs> and so I could, I could see why my... Uh, Mother-in-law was a little embarrassed that her son-in-law got beaten with the man who had to hobble up on no legs. But anyway, um, it was a good learning experience for me. I did finish the, finish the race just ahead. I was behind her, but I sprinted at the end and ended up throwing up at the end of this like very large lady because um, I didn't want to finish behind her and uh, then just puked my guts out. Uh, anyway, and swore I'd never do that again. Uh, but when Steve told me about uh, needing a guide, it totally reminded me of, of that story when I was swimming. And I was just, I mean, I would have ping pong. I might be dead by now if, uh, if I hadn't had those two um, kayakers to kind of guide me along the way. And uh, really grateful for them, even though I think they found it kind of amusing and disturbing at the same time. The next year, they actually, in the triathlon pamphlet, they had a, some new like verbiage. It looked like they talked to their lawyers, and it was... You know, if you can't, if you are uncomfortable with the swim, you can skip that part. Don't worry, we won't count it against you. So I was, I was pretty, uh, that's right, the Jacob Clause. Yeah. The other, yeah, I mean, the other thing, when I, when I got in the water originally, I was just really felt out of place because there's all these, like, V-shaped guys with these big shoulders and, like, tapered down to, like, no waist. I mean, like, some of you guys looks like probably do triathlons, I would, I would think. And I was, I was there. I've got like my fleshy white belly with a muffin top um, and my farmer's tan and my like long, they're in Speedos. I got my long flower print swim trunks on. But anyway, enough about that. Um, yeah, so we need a guide. Um, oh, yeah, so on your notes, under Jacob's, uh, Jacob's notes, just put elite athlete. I thought I wanted to try to establish myself as an elite athlete so you guys would, you know, give more credibility to what I say. Um, about uh, 10 years ago, uh, my wife was pregnant with our second son, and I was driving to work um, one day. At the time, I worked at BP, and I was uh, kind of my routine at that time. I'd, I'd pray in the morning on the way to work, and then I'd listen to the message on a, it was on a, it wasn't, it was whatever was before the iPhone, like a iPod, I think, and uh it was cool. The guy that reads the message um, on tape, because I'm, I'm a little, I might be a little too lazy to read it myself, but it's cool just to have someone read it to you, <laughs> listen to the story. Um, Kelly Ryan Dolan, I mean, he could read the dictionary and it would be interesting. He's su such a great um, speaker, just really, really exciting. And uh, so I was listening to the message. I was just turning off the Beltway onto Memorial and um, flipped the message on, and it's going through. Luke 3, which is the genealogy of Je one of the genealogies of Jesus. It's like all these like, crazy names like Shealtiel and Bindab and Jehoiakim. And I was like, come on, Lord, what, why is this even in here? You know, are we, you know, what's the point of this? But it reminded me that, oh, yeah, we're thinking about naming our uh, un unborn son. We, we're going back and forth between Joshua and Joseph, 
we uh, weren't sure what to name him. And so all the, hearing all these crazy names reminded me, like, huh, I wonder if God, you know, has an opinion. I didn't think he did, but I threw it out there. I was like, because I was kind of tired of listening to the genealogy, too. Um, it's like, hey, so what, you know, what do you think we should name, name our son? And like immediately in the middle of all these like weird names, Joseph, like as soon as the words left my lips, it's like Joseph. I was like, whoa, right in the middle of all that. I was like, on the, uh, in the message. And so um, it's like, okay, wow, that's pretty cool that God could, you know, time that just right. And um, so I went home, I told my wife, she's like, we're naming him Joseph. I was like, well, you know, let's think about it, blah, 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 Joseph or Joshua. So uh, about a week later, I was um, going to work, listening to the message again. And this time, I don't know, it was, uh, yeah, it was the genealogy in Matthew. I was like, really, Lord? Like, what's the point of, like, you're going to make me listen to two genealogies in a week? That's, uh, you know, it's so boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Torture. So um, I was like, ah, I bet you can't do it again. You know, I bet you can't speak through a genealogy. And so uh, he went through the whole thing. I was like, mm-hmm, see? And then he said, and uh, Jacob's son was Joseph, the Joseph who married Mary, um, who had Jesus. So I guess... Um, my name is Jacob, uh, my, and so it was another Jacob's son was Joseph. I was like, whoa, that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty clear, too. So I told Lynette that, and she said, we're definitely naming him Joseph <laughs> again. It's like, yeah, you know, let's, you know, let's still think about it. Pretty uh, hard-headed. Um, and then so a couple weeks later, this is, this, is, this is a weird one. All of a sudden, I kept feel like, I felt like I kept hearing about Joseph, we did name him Joseph. He's going to be the son of encouragement. He's going to be the son of encouragement. He's going to be, I was like, man, son of encouragement. I've heard, it was like constant, almost like a constant in my mind for several days. I was like, I know I've heard that somewhere. Where did I hear, where have I heard son of encouragement in the Bible? So I looked it up, and I was like, man, if this says Joseph, we're, we're definitely naming him Joseph. I looked it up in the concordance, and it said uh, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. So I was like, oh, well, yeah, you know, two out of three is pretty good. Uh, but then I turned to uh, Acts 4, 36 and 37, where it talks about Barnabas. And it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money to, the, to put at the apostles' feet. So I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So, you know, three times, pretty clearly, I mean, God said, Joseph. And the cool thing, Joseph's he's got a lot of the characteristics of Barnabas. He's definitely become the son of encouragement. I mean, uh, you know, Barnabas in the Bible took all his, all his money, sold a field, and gave it all to the uh, apostles. Uh, my Joseph, VBS, he saves up all year. Like, and it rains money on this kid probably because he does this. But he, and then, like, at VBS time, he'll, like, take it all out the front. And part of it is he's competitive. He wants the boys to win the VBS offering. But um, he... Uh, he has some of those characteristics. So my conclusion at the time was, wow, that's cool. You know, if God wants to get a message to you, he can, like, he can definitely get it to you. Um, I really didn't think that, at the time, I didn't think that's like a normal occurrence. I thought, you know, maybe once every five, six years, God's got something to say, and he's going to, like, he can definitely get the message to you. He can speak through a donkey, you know. <laughs> he can speak through through circumstances. He can do, he can get the message to you. But it, uh, it, it should have, but it never occurred to me that he 
may be speaking all the time or willing to speak to us all the time. And if we would just listen, um, he's got all kinds of things to say, say to us. Uh, kind of my view is that, you know, God's up there. He kind of set the world in motion. And we're to sort of, we got the Bible, and we're going to try to use the Bible as, you know, the principles in the Bible to f- try to figure things out on our own, um, which was a, a totally different worldview than the one I have today. And uh, I guess it was, I was more like an unconscious, I call it an unconscious deist. Um, so the whole uh, premise of the book, Walking with God, is that God still speaks to us today. And, um, you know, there's a view among some that God only speaks through the Bible. Um, Eldridge talks about in the book, uh, well, the Bible says that he sent the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. And uh, it's, yeah, so I, you know, conceptually, I would probably, I would say I believe that, but um, my actions kind of didn't, didn't live that out. I wasn't like a bad guy, but I just really didn't, I don't feel like I was tapping into the uh, relationship with God. Um, so anyway, fast forward 10 years, and I'm eating uh, kolaches at the kolache shop with uh, my friend Steve here, and I don't know if you guys have ever been to the kolache shop, but it is fantastic. It's a uh, much better than the Kachi factory. Steve's kind of my barbecue mentor, and he's also pretty good on baked goods. And so um, we end up going there. And it's December. We, uh, we've been praying together a little bit uh, for, I don't know, probably six months to a year. And uh, he was asking me which, you know, he said, I'm going to give you a book, either... Uh, waking the dead or walking with God, which one do you want? I was like, walking with God. And then we were talking about, well, we, he's like, well, what, do you, what do you have planned for t- 2017? What do you, anything you want to do differently? And I said, and this was kind of weird for me to say it because I think we had only done it one time at that point. He's like, I said, yeah, I want to pray with you and ask God to speak and just listen and hear what he says. And so he got all fired up about that. Like, I never really done that stuff before, but I think he has, I, I know, uh, personally, but he was super excited, and um, so anyway, he gave me the book. I think for Christmas, I got him uh, Snow's Brisket this year for Christmas and 60th birthday. It's a pretty good trade, Um, and so uh, I started reading reading this book, and it just blew my mind. I I was just kind of, I'm a big Eldridge fan already. I love Wild at Heart, Walking with God, or Waking Waking the Dead, and uh, but this was, it was talking about a relationship with God that's uh, so personal. I mean, it's kind of like God's interested in the every, everyday part, the everyday parts of your life. Like, who should I go to lunch with? Where should I vacation? Um, things like that. So we started praying, and um, the amazing thing that just kind of still kind of blows me away was that, like, we actually like heard God speak, and that was amazing. But the more amazing part to me was the tone of his voice was not at all what I expected. It was uh, like the most loving, caring father. Um, I, had a, I had the view of God that like he's up there. We're kind of like hustling, barely making it. But hearing his voice um, and just like the love and the, and the care, um, it just really 
kind of blew me away. And so, uh, anyway, we started doing that, and it's super, it was super addictive. I mean, we were like on the phone for like an hour every day for a while there, and uh, it was kind of funny too because it was almost like I feel like God, like I've been waiting to talk to you for your whole life, and now you're finally listening. And uh, but it was really, really cool. Um, and so, the other thing that was amazing was how deeply personal it was. You know, when Jesus called Nathaniel to be his disciple, all he said to him was like, hey, uh, I saw you when you're under the, uh, the fig tree. And Nathaniel, who doubted Jesus, all of a sudden said, you know, you're God. I, I believe in you. I'm going to follow you. And so, like, if you said you saw me under a tree, I don't, that wouldn't mean anything to me. But to Nathaniel, there was something deeply personal about that, that God spoke, spoke to him, and uh, it just it touched him. And that's the way, that's the kind of stuff we were, we were hearing it was just amazing. Um, and, you know, it kind of led to some interesting, like when you listen to God's voice and follow it, it leads to some kind of weird stuff. Like I would ask him about one thing and he'd like send me off on something else. Um, like I was about to go to lunch with a former pastor and he's like, uh, why don't you invite this other guy to lunch who I don't really know that well, but I know his He's lost a daughter to a heart ailment, and his son's on the heart transplant list. Like, okay. So I, you know, I hit him up. There's only like an hour. It's like 1030. He's like, yeah, I'll go. And so uh, I'm on my way over. He says, I'm going to bring my wife and my kid who's on the heart transplant list too. Like, okay, cool. And uh, I was like, okay, Lord, on the way, on the way there, I'm downtown. Going to, we're going to a Mexican restaurant. I'm like, all right, Lord, so what are, what are we going to do? Like, what's this lunch about? He's like, well, you're going to pray for his son. I was like, okay, I didn't even invite his son to go, but he just said he's going to bring him. I was like, all right, cool, I'll pray for him, yeah, in a Mexican restaurant. What am I going to pray? And he says, you're going to pray Isaiah 61. And uh, so I was like, Isaiah 61? That's uh, the scroll when Jesus announced his public ministry. He pulled out Isaiah 61, and among other things, it says that he came to heal the brokenhearted. And so his son's heart, he's got a heart ailment, he needs a new heart. And so I was like, really, Lord, I'm going to pray that, like in a Mexican restaurant with this person I don't really know that well? And uh, he's like, yeah. I was like, okay, are you sure? Because I don't really want to do that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, do it. So anyway, we got there, and I like chicken out the whole lunch. We just talked about all kinds of other stuff. And then right at the end, I said, hey, can I pray with you guys? So we circled up, and I prayed, you know, prayed for his son. Um, said, hey, Jesus, when you announced your ministry, you said you're going to heal the brokenhearted, and this kid, you know, do it. This kid's heart needs to be healed. So, um, anyway, his mom started crying, and I don't know if people were looking at us, but it was a, it was definitely an uncomfortable situation for me, and uh, but it was cool too. It was, I mean, it definitely brought us closer together. He, uh, you know, I still pray that for that kid like all the time. So, praying that that he will heal his son. Um, So I've got some other stories, but I think I'm out of time. So I'm just going to, I just want to kind of close with uh, some of the advantages, I think, of praying with with someone. um, Like I've had the, you know, good fortune to pray with Steve. Uh, When I'm, it's hard to hear God, I think, when you're not neutral on a subject. Like, when I want to go fishing and ask God, like, how about, how about we go fishing? 
Um, I'm not neutral because I want to go. <laughs> and he'll tell me no sometimes, and I'll like ask him again, are you sure? Because it seems like pretty good conditions out there right now. And he'll tell me no again. Um, but when you're praying with someone, it's easier for them to hear, kind of hear for you when you're not neutral. Um, and then the other big advantage is um, the other person can remember things for you. Like there are things that I forget, like, oh, yeah, I remember when God said this, and now this is happening. Um, it's, uh, that's, been, that's been huge. And so we've been, I've been at this for like five and a half months um, since January. Just every morning I'll ask God, you know, hey, so what do you want to say to me today? And I'd say 95% of the time, the first thing he says, I love you. Just like, I love you. And you just feel it. It's, it's amazing, which wasn't what I expected. And, um, and gives me direction. I wanted to go to Alaska with the family for vacation. He's like, no, nah, not this year. It's, you need to go here. Um, I've got like a whole list of stuff he said in the last five and a half months. So anyway, this uh, kind of reading this book and trying to just trying to like ask God if he has anything to say to you and listen just has totally transformed my life. Uh, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, like 35 years. And this is just like a, diff- a total totally different dimension of God than I've ever experienced. And so I was super, super excited when um, I heard that we were going to be going through the book in Warrior's Heart. And I just appreciate the opportunity to tell you a few of the stories of, uh, of what we experienced. Thanks. Whoa, man, if you've started reading that book, you'll realize it's more narrative than anything else. And I just want to make one statement in that as you've, as you've heard sort of that personal dimension. If you think about our life, I, I can't find book, chapter, verse for a lot of the decisions I make. But, but every decision that, that Jacob's made or Steve's made or I have had to make, we submit that under the written word of God. So if he, if he tells me, God tells me, Eric, leave your wife Stacy and abandon your family. Is God saying that? No. So, so we, we submit that, but there's much of our life that I believe we miss his guidance because we don't ask and we don't listen. I'm really good at talking to God. I'm really bad at listening. Really, really bad. And I, I remember it was a Friday morning in the fall of last year wrestling with a situation with my eldest, uh, who's a teenage girl. I've got three daughters and one son, female dog. I'm sure all the fish in the house are female as well. I mean, we are, <laughs> my son and I are completely outnumbered. But, but Steve and I, in just a moment of praying and, and listening, God spoke an encouragement into my life and then he, I didn't have to wait for a fulfillment. I mean, that, literally that night, God opened up a door for a conversation that really needed to happen between a dad and his daughter. And so I just want to say to all of y'all is, I want to encourage you on this journey. God is speaking. As, as Eldred says, first and foremost in his written word. But most of us believe that. But we miss that intimate whisper to us on a daily basis. And if we can get both of those things activated in your life, in my life, in Jacob's life, in Steve's life, we will be men of courage because we know 
we're walking in, and it's not that the outcome, it's not that the vacation is going to be less good in Alaska or somewhere else, right? But it's about the simple obedience to know that, man, God sees way down that road, and I can try to jerry-rig a really good life for myself and my family, but I would much rather step where he just tells me to step. I already know the outcome of a lot of my decisions. I have blown it in multiple areas of my life, and I really, I want to know the outcome of his path for me. And so the encouragement of the study, the encouragement of your life, the encouragement of the journey you've been on as well is to say, here we are, Lord, what do you have today? And then in faithful obedience, if it lines up with God's word morally, step in faith and just see what God will do no matter how crazy it may sound. Does that make sense? We've got some questions. We've got about 15 minutes, 13 minutes, something like that. There are some questions at the bottom half of that page about are there areas in your life that you really do need some more guidance in? Well, Scripture says we don't have because we don't ask. And I'm like, that doesn't mean we ask, we get, but it certainly means if our heart is right and we're trying to get wisdom for a job situation, wisdom for a friendship that we're going through, whatever it may be, we'd be foolish not to bring it to the Lord. In fact, it would insult me if my kids wouldn't come to me. It would insult me. (laughs) It would make a mockery of fatherhood if my kids wouldn't come to me to say, hey, Dad, the chain's off my bike. I've been out here 17 hours on my own trying to fix it. Would you help me? Like, imagine that's how we live most of our life. We just don't bring it before the Lord. So um, love you guys. Y'all take some time around the table and share what you're comfortable sharing with one another. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.